You know, so if we did a poll, if we, you know, took a poll here today and asked the question, why does the church exist? Why do we exist as a church? Why is there, why are there millions of people who gather this morning in different time zones around the world and, and worship Jesus together? Why does that happen? Why do we do that? And if we did that, if we took that poll, do you know what? We would get a bunch of different answers. A bunch of different reasons would come to mind. You know, everything from like, we gather together to study the Bible. We gather together to grow in our faith. Uh, we, we gather as churches to help people, to serve people, to make the community better. We ex maybe you think we exist to, to preach. You know, we exist for you guys to come and listen. We exist to sing songs together. That's why we exist. Maybe you think, you know what? We go to church so that someone can teach my kids about Jesus. And there's a whole bunch of different reasons why we think the church exists. And those are all good answers, but those aren't actually why we exist as a church. Those aren't actually why people gather around the world this morning and open up the Bible. That's not why. See, another thing, th this happens at your, at your work too. We confuse what we do as a church with why we exist as a church. Like your company, your, your team at work, somewhere along the way, somewhere, you confuse what you do with why you do it. And so in this series, we want to spend two weeks. Next week, we're going to look at what we do. Those are the things like, you know, what we, how things play out seven days a week as a church. But today, I want to talk about why this church exists, why we gather every single week because there's so much at stake here. Because here's what happens if, if we get this wrong or if we miss it or if we don't have alignment, okay? Just think about work. If you went into work tomorrow and you sat in your team meeting, you sat in your staff meeting, you said, hey, why do we as a team exist? Why do we as a company exist? There's a chance you wouldn't get the same answer from everybody. Someone might think, well, we exist for revenue. We exist to make customers happy. We exist to take care of employees. And do you know what happens then? You have misalignment. And so then you have everybody doing whatever they think is the right thing, and they miss it. Here's what happens if the church gets this question wrong. People get bored with church and Jesus. They think it's not worth their time. If we're not in alignment, they think it's not worth their time. Why would I show up? Is it even calling anything out of me? Slowly, the church becomes just a social club. It becomes about making sure that you get to see your friends, that nobody sat in your seat. It's just a social club. I remember hearing a pastor say that every church is 10 years away from becoming a country club. Every church is 10 years away from becoming a country club. Churches, when they're out of alignment and they lose why they exist, Slowly, it becomes about things that have nothing to do with Jesus. It slowly becomes about the latest fad, the latest trend. It slowly becomes about a political party. Here's one of the biggest losses in churches when they lose why it exists. And we get a misalignment. Do you know one of the biggest losses is the next generation? Do you know stats show that 85% of high school students will graduate and leave the church? Do you know one of the reasons? The faith that the church gave them, the faith that the church talked about to an 18-year-old when they graduate, it does not seem worth it. 
They look around and they go, you know what? I just saw a whole bunch of people in church just go through the motions. It just kind of seemed like something that you did on Sunday morning, but it didn't call out the best in me. It didn't call out a sacrifice. It didn't seem worth my life. And so I'm going to go and do something else. And that's tragic. And that may be your story. Maybe somewhere along the way, you just walked away. Here's what happens too when it gets out of alignment. As adults start to focus more on everybody's behavior and if they say the right things and do the right things instead of entering and engaging in the mess. And, and we do this with the next generation too. When they ask questions, we, we look at them and we go, why would you think that? We don't believe that. Like we have four teenagers, and I feel like on a weekly basis, I'm in the car with one of them, and they say something, they ask something, and I just breathe and go, tell me more. <laughs> where, where did you hear that? What, what do you think of that? And in my head, I'm just thinking, what? <laughs> but do you know what happens in churches? Here's what happens in churches. A, a, a student comes in and says, hey, like, are Adam and Eve real people? Like my science teacher said that maybe they were a myth. Like, how do I know they're a real person? And if we sit there and we just say, well, you're just supposed to believe this without entering into their questions, they go, well, you know what, that, I don't know. And we lose what the church is about. And if the church loses the next generation, we're just one generation away from extinction. No, I know, someone's gonna email me. Jesus is going to be fine. He's going to build his church. But this church might not be. If we don't engage the next generation, if we don't answer questions and walk with them, if we don't know why we exist, we're going to be a country club in 10 years, and we're just going to be here making sure that everybody is happy and has their membership card and gets their parking spot. And that's not why we exist as a church. That's not why we gather every single week. That's not why we sing songs. So why does community covenant exist? Jesus tells us in two different places why the church exists. He tells us in Matthew 28, which Chris just read that we're gonna look at this week, and he tells us in Acts 1.8, which we'll look at next week. He tells us what the goal, not of just the church, but the goal of every single follower of Jesus. He tells us what everybody's will, like what God's will is for every single follower of Jesus, what it is for them. He tells us it in two different places. He says this in Matthew 28. I'm going to read a little bit before where Chris started in verse 16. He says, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee. Now, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection. You remember, there were 12 disciples, and, and Judas betrayed him. And so Judas isn't with him anymore. It says, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when the disciples saw Jesus, they worshiped, but some doubted. And so Jesus gathers with his disciples. He's about to ascend into heaven. Okay, he's about to go sit at the right hand of God the Father. It says the disciples see him and they worship him. And then this is one of my favorite phrases in the whole Bible. You ready? I think this is so important. They all worshiped him and some doubted. That is an absolutely fascinating verse. Here, here's, here's why. I am blown away by this because we have this idea that the church and being a disciple of Jesus is just for the people who are certain. 
We have this idea that it's not okay to question. It says they all worshiped, but some were going, I don't know. I still have these questions. Like, here would be one of my questions. Like, Jesus, like, how did you rise from the dead? Like, how did that happen? Because you're here. That would be one of my questions. It doesn't, Matthew doesn't tell us what they doubted. He doesn't tell us. I mean, we could guess. I have ideas about it, but those are just ideas. But here's the thing. Is being a disciple, following Jesus, being a part of the church is not just for the people who are certain. It's also for the people who have questions, who are skeptical, who are wondering, who doubt. See, they worship, they have faith, and they also doubt. It's not these polar opposites that we think it is. And being a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus, is not just for the people who know all the answers. They're for the people who go, I just don't know. See, what Jesus gives next, what we call the Great Commission, where he tells them to go into all the world, he gives it to the people who are certain and the people who are doubting. And if we ever, as a church, lose the ability for people who have questions to feel welcomed, we might as well just close our doors. If you sit in your small group and somebody says, I, you know, I don't know about this. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know where God is in disappointment. I don't know what God's doing right now. How do I even, what do I do with the fact that, that I'm not getting healed, that I don't feel better? What do I do with this fractured relationship? If we are not the place where those questions are welcomed with grace, we have missed what Jesus did and what Jesus is doing. Because Jesus gives his call, Jesus sends his disciples out to the people who are certain and the people who are doubting. And so if you're sitting here and you go, because here's what happens. We have this idea that I can't do this or that or the other thing or I can't go on to this thing or I can't disciple anybody because I have questions. I can't do this in my life until I fix this other part of my life or I can't you know, I don't know enough. I don't, I don't know as much as this person over here. I don't, I, we sit in small groups and we're blown away at how somebody prays and we think, I can't pray like that person. Do you know what? It doesn't matter. Jesus didn't make you that person. And we also fail to see that Jesus meets us in our doubts. Jesus meets us in our questions. It's okay to question, to question Jesus. Basically, everybody who met Jesus in the Gospels asked him a question. <laughs> His disciples, I mean, they still didn't even get it. I mean, think about this, okay? These disciples have been with Jesus for three years. Like we think, I, I've said this all the time. Oh man, like if I would have met Jesus, if I would have seen Jesus, like I would have done all, this, that, or the other thing. No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. These people spent three years with Jesus, heard everything that Jesus said and did. They watched Jesus raise people from the dead, feed 5,000 people with just like a few crumbs. They watched Jesus walk on water and some doubted. Some doubted. I, it is astounding to me. This is, I'm sorry, I, I realize I'm spending a lot of time on this phrase, but I love that this is in the Bible. 
because it gives me such hope and it also shows us. It also shows us that when we enter into discipleship and following Jesus and walking with people that it is a mess. It is a mess. And yes, the longer you walk with Jesus, the easier it is going to be for you to be filled with pride because you know the answers that other people don't know. And you forget that you have questions. You forget that you were once a college student who thought you could revolutionize the world. You forget that. You forget that, that at one point in your life, you were for sure smarter than everybody older than you. You forget that. You forget that. It doesn't tell us who doubted. I would love to know which of the disciples doubted. That would have been fantastic. I'd love to know that. But here's the thing. All 11 of them went on to fulfill what God called them to do. Their doubts did not stop God from working in their life. And do you know what? Of these 11, only one disciple died of old age. They all died because Jesus stood in front of them and said, go. They all died for that faith. Now, were they all ready to go? No, because here's what churches do. We go, well, you know what? There's like a list of things that you have to do before you can go and do this thing or that thing. Now, yeah, there are character things that, that God calls us to in leadership and things like that, but we oftentimes, we just throw up a whole bunch of barriers that actually aren't in the Bible. I mean, think for a moment. If you were gonna give, like you're about to ascend to heaven, you're Jesus, just imagine this for a moment. Imagine you're Jesus, okay? For some of you, this is easier than others, but you're Jesus, so... Okay, so just imagine this, okay? And you're about to ascend into heaven, and you have spent three years with these guys, and you are about to send them out. You're gonna give them your last words. And Matthew writes that some doubted. Do you think Jesus is sitting there going, man, I, I, we could look at this and be like, did Jesus pick the right people? But he did. He did. And what's interesting is you go through the book of Acts and you read through the, the letters in the New Testament is that you begin to see some of the doubts that some of the disciples had, some of the struggles that they had, and how the Spirit just continued to meet them in that place and use those doubts and struggles to reach other people for Jesus. Okay, you see it in Peter's life. Peter wants to stick to the really strict food laws. And Jesus uses that, the Spirit uses that to transform Peter's life and then reach people who don't follow Jesus. Your doubts may be exactly the place that God wants to meet you and use to reach somebody else. Okay? Now, so Jesus then stands there. And he says in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples. So what is a disciple? See, in our culture, in, in, in Christianity, in American church, we have separated discipleship from being a Christian. Oftentimes, like, discipleship is like the mature, like, super Christian. We talk about discipleship as this kind of ethereal thing that's out there. Or we just say, oh, like, you know, if something's wrong in the church, I've heard pastors say this, well, you know, like, we, it's a discipleship problem. We have a discipleship problem. Like, 
if, if Jesus and the writers of the New Testament were here today and we said we have a discipleship problem, they would be like, then you have a church problem. Discipleship and following Jesus are not separate things. They are the same thing. Here's what's so important to understand. Do you know the word Christian? Do you know how many times it appears in the New Testament? Three times. Three times. Do you know how many times the word disciple appears? 269 times. Okay? The New Testament is all about discipleship. It's all about discipleship. But slowly, somewhere along the way, we have made discipleship, we have made being a Christian about whether it's believing this list of things or doing this list of things. And, and Jesus talks about discipleship. What does he say to the disciples at the beginning of the Gospels? Follow me. Follow me. Discipleship in the New Testament is not a class. It, it, it's not a book that you read. There's not levels to it. Discipleship in the New Testament is simply apprenticeship. It is following Jesus. It is walking along with Jesus and watching him. Doing what Jesus does. This is why his disciples say, Jesus, teach us to pray. What does Jesus do? He doesn't say, hey, there's this really great book on prayer that I read last week that's gonna help you. No, Jesus says, okay. And he starts to pray. And we make discipleship just so difficult then. We make discipleship about things that it's not about. Jesus says it's about the fruit in your life. It's about if people can see it all throughout the Gospels. Jesus talks again and again. He just says, come and follow me. The mission of the church is to make disciples. That's the mission of the church. Jesus doesn't say, go and do anything else. He says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. The mission of your life as a follower of Jesus is to go and make disciples. That's the mission. If you come up with, in your mind, God's will for your life that does not include making disciples, you have missed God's will for your life. You still don't know what it is, okay? When Jesus stands there, he could have said anything. He could have said, go and, and do all kinds of things, but he doesn't. He just says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. This means that making disciples, you can do this as a parent, do it as a business owner, a teacher. You can do it as an employee, as a spouse. You go and make disciples. Doesn't matter how old you are. Jesus doesn't say, doesn't matter how old you are. Some of the people that, that are standing in front of Jesus, his disciples, they're teenagers. They're 14 year olds, they're 15 year olds. Imagine, you're about to leave earth. Okay, let's get back to being Jesus. You're about to leave earth and you put the whole future of what you're doing in the hands of teenagers, okay? So students, don't ever let somebody tell you that you are too young to change the world. Don't ever let somebody tell you that you are too young to do exactly what it is that God has called you to do. And don't ever let somebody tell you that you're too old to get started. He says, go and make disciples. He says, go, make disciples of all nations, 
Okay, so we can ask, where do I go? Anywhere. You can go anywhere. All nations. Baptizing them in in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, discipleship, this is really important. Discipleship does not begin the moment that you start following Jesus. Okay? It doesn't begin the moment that you get baptized. Discipleship actually begins way before that. If you're a follower of Jesus, somebody discipled you to Jesus. Here's why. Because you had some questions. You had some struggles. You had some doubts. You were skeptical. You wondered, man, could this really be real? And you engaged them with somebody. And you asked questions. And they engaged back. And they didn't, and they didn't look at you and say, that's a dumb question. Like, I remember three years ago, uh, a good friend of ours came to church with us in Tucson. And, and I, had, I had spent like six years trying to get this guy to church. And he finally came. It was Christmas Eve. And like two days before Christmas Eve, we're working out together. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, um, Josh, so he's like, I've never really like been to church. Is there like anything like I need to know? Now, in this moment, I could have looked at him and been like, Bro, how have you never been to church? Do you know the risk that he took in asking that? And in that moment, my answer disciples him to Jesus or away. The way that you interact with people who don't follow Jesus disciples them to Jesus or away from Jesus. The way that you engage their questions, the way that you talk about their life, Okay, so we're getting ready for the elections. The way you talk about the way that they vote moves them to Jesus or away from Jesus. Your words, my words, they matter. See, discipling someone in Jesus begins before they start following Jesus. And when they begin following Jesus, what does it say we do? We baptize them. Now, what do they need to be baptized? One thing. Just one thing. Are they following Jesus? You know what we see in the New Testament? People start following Jesus and immediately they baptize them. (laughs) I remember the church that I grew up in, there was a three-week class to get baptized. Now those are all, that's good stuff. But I look back and I wonder, how many other things are we putting in the way that, that aren't actually in the Bible? What does he say? Go and make disciples, baptizing them, and then teach them. Baptism is the beginning of the entire journey. It's not the end. It's not the end. It's the public declaration that God has changed you. It's the public declaration that something is now different in my heart, that I'm not who I used to be, that I'm not stuck and dead in my sins. I am alive. That's what baptism is. That's what baptism is. And then Jesus says, you teach them, another word for that in other translations is train them, and he says, and I will be with you to the end of the age. Here's what you need to remember. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school, when you begin to have conversations with people who are not yet disciples of Jesus, you are not the first person to show up. Jesus beat you to the punch. 
Okay, Jesus is already there. So when you're talking to your teenager and you're trying to engage them in conversations, you're trying to disciple your child to Jesus, the spirit is already at work. It's not, the spirit's not trying to catch up to you and go, oh, I had no idea you were going here today. Like, like that's not what happens. You show up, you start having a conversation, somebody asks a question, the spirit's already there. And if you think about your journey, you may be the person that helps to take someone across the line of faith, but you just may be the first link in the chain. Never, ever lose heart if you have conversations with people and it doesn't seem to change them. Think back to your story. How many conversations did you have with someone before you started following Jesus? How many years did it take for you? For some of you, it took decades. I mean, for some of you, you had hundreds of people praying for you. You were like, you were a super sinner, right? For some, you look back and you're like, oh, it seemed really fast. But when you show up, Jesus is there. So what happens in discipleship? This is really important, okay? Dallas Willard, who has really framed my thinking a lot on discipleship, he says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. So as a follower of Jesus, when someone watches you work, talks with your kids, your spouse, watches you drive and get cut off by somebody, watches the way that you interact with a cashier who is going a little bit slow, watches the way you balance money in your life, they should look at that and say, man, I bet that's how Jesus would do it. They should watch you as a boss or an employee and be like, it's like having Jesus as a boss. It's like Jesus is my coworker. That's the process of discipleship. That's the goal of a disciple. To say, is this, how, is this how Jesus would do it? Is this how Jesus would spend money? Is this how Jesus would surf the internet? Is this how Jesus would spend their Sunday afternoon? Is this how Jesus would talk to that person? That's the goal of discipleship. And, and, and notice this, what did Jesus do to make disciples? He just spent time with his disciples. He just sat around a fire with them. They went camping. He taught, he listened to them. He also walked away from them. I mean, don't miss this. This is a big part of being a disciple. Is how, how often did Jesus walk away and spend time out by himself with his father? They were always looking for Jesus. I think some of that is just Jesus' exasperation with them. You know, I mean, honestly, he's got to be like, oh, my goodness, like, these guys. It's okay for you to walk away and be like, I just need a break. I just need to be with my father. I just need to be out by myself. Everything that Jesus did was about discipleship, was about making these 12 disciples. And notice, he just focused on these 12. Yes, he had crowds of people around him. But discipleship happens within relationships. Okay? This is why we, we say here when it comes to groups, right now, like I'm not, I'm not really discipling you. I'm, I'm like the kind of the catalyst for it. Discipleship doesn't happen like this. Discipleship happens in a circle. Discipleship happens at a dining room table, at a coffee shop. It happens sitting in a kitchen. It happens driving on errands in a car. That's when discipleship happens. If you're a parent, you know this. Right? The best conversations happen where? In the car. Like you're all by yourself with these kids. You know, that's when the conversations happen. 
Discipleship happens shoulder to shoulder, face to face, life on life. Okay? And so Jesus says, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So we teach, we train, which means every follower of Jesus, you should have somebody who is further in front of you discipling you, and there should be somebody who is behind you that you're discipling. You know more than somebody. You can't say, I'm too young. Like, I, I, I don't know enough. No, you can be a 14-year-old and disciple a 45-year-old. You may know more than them. But being a disciple means somebody is training you and teaching you, and you are training and teaching somebody. He says that we are to teach everything that Jesus commanded and taught. Okay? So that's like all of this. So that's a lot. It's a lot. But what did he command and teach? He says, love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He talked a lot about the kingdom of God. He talked a lot about how to, how to just be changed. Which means... We are to teach people how to know God, how to be with God. We are to disciple them in how to do life, how to do marriage, how to do work, how to do their career, sexuality, how to do finances. There are people in your life that you are further along in one of those areas, and there is somebody in your life that is further along in one of those areas. And if you think that there is no one in your life further along than you, then you need to find somebody who is super humble because pride is your problem. Okay? Discipling all of us are called to do it. Now, here's the thing. Do you know what we have more of today in the Christian church in America than ever before in history? Content. Content. We have more content, more videos, more sermons, more Bible studies than ever before. Do you know what we don't have? Disciples. We don't have changed people. We have a lot of Christians who have super big heads, okay? Do you know what? I mean, it's like, it's, it's like at work where, you know, you have the, the binder cemetery from, from the conferences that you go to and the shows that you go to, right? Do you have that? You know, where you, the certifications you got where you come back and you're like, oh, just put it in binder cemetery. That, that's, that's what has happened in the Christian church. Like, I'm gonna get on a soapbox for a second, okay? A lot of times people will come to me and say, Josh, you know what, I, I, I just wanna grow which is a great goal. And I'll say, you know, tell me more. Well, you know, I, I just need some deeper sermons. I need, I need to be in another Bible study. Like the two that I'm in, I had somebody tell me recently, the two that I'm in is not enough. I need a third one. Do you know what almost no one needs? More Bible studies. More knowledge. Almost no one needs that. Do you know what we need? To actually apply what we know. That's what we need we don't need to know more. Do you know, do you know the best way to grow spiritually? Do you know what it is? If you've been listening, you probably should know the answer by now. It's to disciple somebody. Do you know the best way to grow spiritually? is for someone to ask you a question about the Bible. Do you know the absolute best question to help you grow spiritually? One you don't know the answer to. This is one of the reasons we don't disciple people. Is we're afraid they're gonna ask us a question we don't know the answer to. You know what is 100% the, 
certain, someone is going to ask you a question you don't know the answer to. And you know what you say? You don't go, let me make something up. You don't do that. What you say is you go, man, that is a great question. You know, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. But hey, what if we researched it together and figured it out? Now, do you know what they're not going to do? They're not going to go, man, I don't want to research it together. They're not going to say that. They're going to lose respect for you. They're going to go, yeah, let's do that. The best way to grow in your spiritual journey is to disciple somebody, is to walk with somebody who knows less than you. Now, some of you are going, yes, I want to do this. Like, and some of you are going, yeah, but like, what if I don't know like everything? You're not going to know everything. Remember, there were some people who were standing on this hill with Jesus going, I don't know. Some of them were doubting. If you're doubting that you can do what God has called you to do, you are exactly where half of the disciples were. You are in the right spot. You're in the right spot. The best way for us to grow is to be an apprentice to Jesus, to walk in the way of Jesus, and to walk along someone else as they learn to do that. That is the best way to do it. This is why, let me sum this up. Discipleship is doing everyday things with gospel intentionality. Discipleship is doing everyday things with gospel intentionality. Why? Because you need to be discipled in everyday things. Discipleship is, is really, really mundane and ordinary. It is. It's really mundane and ordinary. I remember, let me give you a real life example. I remember when Kay and I first got married and we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, we, we, were, we were young, we were, we were dumb, we had no idea. Katie was way smarter than I was on marriage, but I had no clue what I was doing. And so we, we joined this small group and this couple who's about 15 years older than us and like the first time we met them, I could tell, man, we really respect this couple. They have something. They have figured out something in their marriage and parenting and in their roles and how they did work. Like they had figured something out. And so we invaded their life, okay? Like we, I mean, I, like no joke, we would like drive by their house to see if they were home and call them and be like, hey, Sean, Stacy, are you guys home? Can we stop by? Like, we knew you were home. And, like, we would, sh we, you know, we'd loop the block so it didn't seem really creepy when we came in. But, like, we invaded their life. Why? Because we wanted to know what they knew. And we would pepper them with questions. They were so gracious. Sean was so gracious to me. He didn't look at me and be like, man, you have no clue. We asked them about marriage. We asked them about their jobs. We asked them about how they make decisions. They just opened up their life to us. That's what discipleship is. It's just opening up your life to somebody else. It's just doing everyday things with gospel intentionality. They made us dinner. They served us. We babysat their kids. So, I mean, they got a really great thing out of the deal. But, like, it's just ordinary, everyday things with gospel intentionality. And so here's the thing. What is it that you know? Where have you grown in your faith? How does God want to use that? Who are you further along then? That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is somebody walking with you and you walking with somebody else. This is why we say we as a church exist to help people take their next step with God. This is why we exist. Everything we do is about this. Because we believe every single week, every single day, no matter what we're doing, there is always a next step that God has for us. 
So if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, your next step might be taking that step and following Jesus. Your next step might be digging into the doubts and skepticisms that you have and continuing to press into that. That's a next step. Your next step might just be coming back. That's a next step. Your next step might be giving for the first time, starting to loosen your hands on on your finances and the stuff that God's given to you. Your next step might be finally stopping to just consume and being in 14 different small groups and actually leading one. Like some of you right now, I I need to say this because I've I've been to almost every single one of our small groups. Half of our small groups actually need to be leading small groups because you know a lot. And it's time for you to, to get off the bench and start discipling some people. It's time for you to start walking with some people, to engage with them. See, and why do we do this? See, Jesus told us at the beginning of the Gospels in John 10, 10, he tells us, why, we, why he does all that he does. And he says this. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. The goal of discipleship, the goal of following Jesus, the reason that Jesus came, he tells us, is for us to experience the life that Jesus offers That, that's, that's why Jesus came. That's why our church exists. I, I remember when we were, when I was interviewing here with CCC a year and a half ago and when we were interviewing Noah and, you know, Noah asked me and the church asked, the search team and the elders asked me, you know, why does the church exist? And I said, it's simple. To give hope to people who are looking for hope that life is better with Jesus. Every week when people walk into our church, this is why we call this series The Life-Giving Church. Every week when people walk in here, and every time people roll into your small group, when people came to the trunk or treat last week, whether they realize it or not, they're looking for hope. They're looking for hope. Some of you, you're sitting here today because your, your marriage, your family is just hanging by a thread. And you're hoping that something will change, that something will happen. Maybe you walked in here today and and you're just trying to hold on to hope because it just feels like all hope is lost in your life. So Jesus said, I've come that they may have life. Everything that we do as a church is about showing people and telling people that life with Jesus is better. And we do that through apprenticing under Jesus, who's the ruler who has all authority, our King Jesus, apprenticing under him, being discipled by somebody further along than us, and discipling someone further behind us. And when does it end? It never ends. We keep training, we keep learning, we keep growing, we keep walking. So that we can experience the life that Jesus has for us. Now, normally, I try to lead up in my sermons to our next step, but here's a really simple next step. It's really simple. Who are you discipling, and who's discipling you? That's it. That's the call. That's the call of the day. 
And you may not know, and if you don't know, then for you this week, your job is to say, God, send somebody into my life that, need, that needs me to walk alongside of them that I'm further along with. God, send somebody into my life that is further along than I am. And then don't be shy. Invade their life, just like Katie and I did. But we do that. And in that, in those everyday, shoulder-to-shoulder, face-to-face relationships, we experience overflowing, abundant life because life with Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that as Jesus stood there on that hill, I thank you that Matthew includes that some had had doubts, some questions, some had no idea if they could do what Jesus was calling them to. And so God, I, I pray that we would be a church that always, always engages where people are. That we would have the humility that Jesus has as he sits with people with doubts. So God, we want to be a church that is life-giving. We want to be a church that brings life to every corner of the places we inhabit. Tomorrow when we go to work, tomorrow when we go to school, we want to be people who bring life. So God, I pray that as we enter into this series, as we start this this Thanksgiving Christmas season as a church, help us. Help us to be life-giving Christians, life-giving disciples. In your name, amen.